We hear things in the deep dark night. We see things in the shadows, in the corners of our eyes. In mind and dim light, we sense things when they just aren't right. Our dealings are not with human flesh and bone, but rather with an essence that defies even the basic laws of nature, like space and time. These elusive selves challenge our logical minds, forcing us to take faith in the unseen, the unsubstantiated. We cling to theory, statistical inevitability, and the imminent manifestation of mystery. Brought to you by WKTV, I'm one of your ghost hunting hosts, Wayne Preston Curtis Thomas. Welcome to a very special episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast. As always, we ask that you please keep an open mind about things that you might not easily believe as we explore the mysterious. I knew the truth was out there somewhere. The real truth of UFOs is coming to the studio tonight. Let's meet the people joining our forum. Please welcome a former Ghostbuster from Holland, Michigan. Hello everybody, my name is Kim Colleen, as Wayne said. I was the founder and uh, operator of the Tulip City Ghostbusters, and then also a paranormal investigator for many years. Thank you. And then another one of our co-hosts, he's a legendary paranormal investigator, turned Bigfooter, <laughs> and he's from Byron Center, Michigan. Yep. Hello everybody, I'm Brandon Jose. And, and right now you're with Grass Paranormal. Yes, I've, I've done a few investigations, yeah, I just recently joined them. Okay, and then tonight we have something a little different. We have a special guest co-host. Now, William J. Konkoleski has been on our show for episodes 10, 35, 56, 58, and he's also on my show, Cryptic Frequencies, and uh, he's uh, the director of the Michigan MUFON, and he's also an author of two books. If you guys want to, you have his two books here. Experiencer. What's it say? Experiencer raised in two worlds. And then Brandon? Experiencer two, two worlds collide. So he's very far out, probably the most far out uh, guest that we ever had on the show. But we're very excited to have our special guest on the show. It's a highly anticipated, I feel incredibly lucky to have gotten him. And we've talked about the 94 Michigan UFO flap on every one of the shows that Bill Konkoleski was on. And Bill was a, a name dropper. So four years ago, we started talking about Jack Bouchon Jr. But Bill... And uh, Jack, I think, are friends. And so Bill's going to introduce Jack and say hi to everybody, Bill. Uh, sure thing. Thanks, Wayne. Um, Jack Bashan uh, received his degree in meteorology at Florida State University in 1988 and was shortly after recruited by the National Weather Service, where he became a weather radar operator in his hometown of Muskegon, Michigan. On the evening of March 8, 1994, Jack witnessed multiple anomalous large objects on his radar 
making unusual maneuvers which coincided with several hundred dramatic UFO sightings at night across West Michigan. Not long after this event, Jack transferred with promotion to continue his career with the National Weather Service in Atlanta, Georgia, where he ultimately retired in 2016, now with a desire to finally discuss in night the events of that night of March 8, 1994, something he was discouraged from doing for so many years by the National Weather Service. Jack is here with us uh, today to tell the story of that night's mysterious events. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. What a nice intro. Are you guys buddies? Are you friends? Good friends? What's that? Are you guys good friends? We kind of just met uh, um, last summer briefly and uh, spoke a couple times this year. Jack's a stand-up guy, I'll tell you that, with a few conversations I've had with him. Right, and then uh, you guys were both on Netflix, Unsolved Mysteries, Something in the Sky. And so you both had parts in that. We'll talk about that tonight, but mostly we want to hear about the 1994 flap here in Michigan. And uh, Jack, you might have to give us the Reader's Digest version because I saw you on the MUFON meeting and that went for a couple hours. But yeah, we want to hear about that. And Yeah, that's what I was told. It's, it's a pretty <laughs> complex uh, uh, thing that happened and it's hard to describe. Uh, it's, uh, it's very, very confusing to a lot of people. Um, and so I, I, I have to kind of describe how the radar works a little bit. Right. But yeah, I'll try to, uh, I'll try to keep my uh, my um, discussion concise. What did they tell you um, on Netflix? To you had to give a version of what did they tell you how to describe it? Uh, what's I'm sorry. What's that? They had they told you when you did the Netflix that you had to like maybe not be so technical. What did they say to you to? Yeah, they they said I had to keep it at about a fifth grade level. <laughs> right. And so yeah, that was that was really tough. So, um, okay, you know, yeah. That uh, when I talk to uh, you guys, I can, I can up it a little bit um, to at least high school level. There you go. And I tried to follow the timeline between how the events took place. I think I had that down after watching the Netflix. So that helped me to watch that. I, I enjoyed that program a lot. But yeah, we want to hear about. I think it was pretty intense. Because of some of the language that you used, you know, how surprising you, you were and stuff. Yeah, tell us about it. Well, if, if you, um, <clears throat> if you uh, noticed uh, in the show, uh, when I was a little kid, um, I was holding an airplane in my hand. There was a picture of me uh, as a little kid holding an airplane in my hand. Uh, it was the wing of one of those airliners that uh, used to put 2D batteries in and it used to go across the floor. I was uh, really interested in aircraft when I was a kid. I used to fly all the time from Florida to Michigan. Uh, my mom and dad lived on in both Michigan and Florida, so I was bounced back and forth quite often. So uh, I flew through Chicago O'Hare a lot and uh, as an unaccompanied minor and then finally uh, um, finally got to tour the airport on my own when I turned 12 and would spend all my hours on the observation deck. I could probably name every airliner that was out there, uh, took pictures of them and so on. 
So I was really interested in uh, aircraft. And so when I finally got into the weather service and I, I was wondering about uh, uh, the airline industry as a, as a career, but uh, ultimately took meteorology because it was, uh, um, it was also an interest, interest in mine and, uh, and it was less competitive in, uh, um, in career wise. So uh, that's what I took. And so, and so, so I had that interest in aircraft and one of the things I wanted to do uh, when I found out this radar could detect aircraft was to track them along. And so I would maneuver the radar um, a few times during training to see if I could actually see aircraft. And, and uh, it was hard to find light aircraft uh, around the area, but I definitely could spot it at uh, Chicago Air and, and detect uh, airliners um, uh, once they got up to a certain level, uh, altitude at about 20,000 feet, I could detect them. Um, and, uh, and so, um, and they would, they would show up as a solid object. Um, and, uh, we have something on our radar called the a scope or the amplitude scope. That's how much energy is being received. And it would have a certain, uh, signature. Um, we, we would, we would say it was spiking. So that's when you see something solid. And, uh, and that's usually uh, kept for um, spotting thunderstorms and seeing hail because hail is, is solid in thunderstorms. So, um, so there was definitely a signature to the airliners and uh, it was typical of what um, the, uh, 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 the, man, uh, the weather radar manuals said that the, uh, the, um, the airliners would, would look like, and that's what I saw. So when I saw the UFOs, they had the same signature, only much stronger. And I don't know why that is, except that maybe they were closer uh, than Chicago, or it could be because uh, they were larger. Um, they could have been more reflective in the material that was used. Um, uh, or uh, they could have been um, possibly flying in formation um, that was too uh, tight for the radar to uh, uh, the, the resolution of the radar to pick apart. So if there was three in formation, I wouldn't, and they were uh, within a half mile of each other, I wouldn't be able to pick them apart. They would show up as one big object or it could have just been one solid big object. Uh, I'm not sure, but they were definitely quite a bit larger and um uh they had more of a of a of a signature than than airliners did yeah i was wondering if your training had prepared you in any way for what you saw on march 8th yeah i that's the weird thing about this whole thing is i don't if if it was anybody else in the office that was there that night i don't think they could attract these because uh i was I was so interested in aircraft and, and how, you know, we didn't have anything like flight aware like we do now. Uh, so uh, back in 94, um, you know, that with that, uh, that that's flight aware or, or um, flight map. That's that's a uh, that's a, an app that you can see every single flight in the USA uh, active at the current time and their locations or altitude. And so, uh, so it was just, you know, if you can think about it in 1994 with, a, with an analog machine, I was able to actually detect uh, uh, actual airliners in the, in the sky and watch them cruise across the sky and, and, 
and increase in altitude, seat detector speed, and so so forth. So yeah, I I think I was lucky to be able to be there that night. Yeah, it was the right person, mm-hmm. right place, right time. Yes, yes, certainly was. Uh, strangely coincidental. Yeah, and it's also coincidental that you're from Muskegon, Michigan. Yes, it is. And yes. that's where they were flying over. Right. That is strangely coincidental. And also that my family has been from there for a long time. And my dad was known uh, to the uh, um, he was well known to the uh, um, to the air uh, to the uh, newspaper uh, guys because uh, he ran the Miss Michigan pageant there. And uh, and he was also a member of the press club there. So he had a lot of friends in the press. And the funny thing is, is they knew who I was. They, all those guys knew me uh, from parties and whatever that my dad would have when I was a kid. So when they when they heard my voice, they knew it was me immediately. It was the uh, the but the newspapers. Uh, my dad said you cannot release his name. Oh, but they they did know who I was, you know. And since then, have you kept your eye to the sky? Uh. How I would say since I remember, since I was two, three years old, I've been looking in the sky. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember, uh, I, I mean, I had a really strange interest in, and I asked other kids or other people that I know, did you ever think, you know, what kind of, what do we live on? What is this world that we're living on? And I remember at three years old asking my parents, you know, what is this place? You yeah. Know, um, and they said, well, we're on the earth and it's round. And I thought at that point that we were inside it, inside the earth. Otherwise, we'd fall out. But so uh, it wasn't until a few years later I understood. Yeah, you're a far out dude. You're going to challenge Bill for the most <laughs> far out guests we have ever had on the show, I'm afraid. Now, do you think there's a stigma that comes with people that report UFOs? I think it's getting less and less now. Um, I think there used to be. Um, uh, definitely in 1994 there was. I would say about half the people that I met uh, were uh, interested and they would ask me questions. Uh, it was the uh, the people that had a stone cold face and didn't say a thing that I knew, okay, I'm not gonna talk about it anymore. <laughs> oh and yeah. So, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, after after that, after I, when I moved to Atlanta, uh, nobody really was interested in it down here, especially at work. And I'm glad that most of the people didn't know about it. Uh, there was uh, it was actually weaponized um, by somebody in the neighborhood. I was the uh, uh, the president of the homeowners association, and this lady was mad at me, and so she. Uh, she actually uh, sent out an email to the whole neighborhood. She Googled my name and said, look, we have Jack Bashong, who is uh, uh, well-known in the UFO. Oh, <laughs> no. He did some opposition research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, of course, I know why that lady did that. She did that to make me look like a crazy man but uh well some of the language that you used you said kook 
Kook. Kook. Yeah, exactly. You didn't want to be known as a kook. Kook. <laughs> but what's interesting is some of the reading that I've been doing, the Navy pilots use that same word. They didn't want right. to be known as a kook. Yeah. <laughs> now, and the guys that you worked with, you came back to work. They had taken paper plates, made UFOs, and hung them from the ceiling. So you took some ribbing. But oh, I took a lot of hell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we they uh, within two days of that incident, the, the guys in the office um, took uh, paper plates and they put them all over the office. We had an A-frame roof ceiling and so i don't know how in the world they got the string as high as they did oh, they must have brought in a really yeah. high uh, a-frame ladder uh to uh, uh to get to get those uh, paper plates up there but i had a good uh, uh i i didn't actually tear them down i left them for the because it was a big mess i left them for, for them to deal there you with go the i think they were jealous yeah i think they were more jealous of that they weren't the ones and then there's been some witnesses that have came forward. You're still looking for witnesses to come forward. I, there's there's people that are coming forward on, and they're they're contacting me on um, on uh, uh, Facebook and also from uh, the the tips uh, contact and uh, um, on with uh, unsolved mysteries. So they're they're little tips line. And so, um, so I'm, I'm trying to reach out to every one of them, and they're interesting. Uh, some of, most of them are within that uh, Muskegon County, uh, Kent County, Ottawa County, and I don't know where South. South what's the county is South Haven? Is that Allegan County? I can't remember. Um, but, uh, but the the one that I just saw was uh, an account over in East Lansing. So that's the furthest east I saw. For that that one night, except for uh, Wayne's um, um, uh, triangular uh, craft uh, that he saw over near Detroit, so um, so I'm not getting m many reports over on the east side of, of uh, the state, but uh, mostly the west side, west side. Okay, now Bill, you your part on Netflix, you pointed out that there were what 42 counties that had sightings and that on the east side there was black triangles is that right bill yeah um in fact um yeah and uh, to, to agree with what jack is saying our mufon reports have spiked dramatically our michigan sightings have spiked dramatically since that show aired um more than 50 sightings just in the, the month or so since that was on which is a lot for us we tend to get about 200 overall in a year and so to get 50 in a month um yeah so we're definitely keeping busy and yeah many of them are from march 8th they're historical sightings and people are saying yeah i also saw this on that particular night and they're not all from the west side of the state that particular night yeah um there was yeah in port huron um somebody that uh reported to me that uh, they had something that followed them uh, home, uh, this bright light doing crazy maneuvers following them home. And, you know, Port Huron's, of course, obviously over on the Lake Huron side. So, um, yeah, all across the state, we were seeing some really dramatic stuff. And then I, my research tells me Michigan is up in the top 10 
uh, for UFO sightings, but Michigan is a cloudy state. So it's harder for us to see uh, things up in the sky like that. And that Ohio actually uh, is a little better state um, they, and they get some good reports there. But I like some of the language though that Jack used. He said that, that it didn't act human. He said it was uh, that they wanted to be seen and like they were putting on an air show. You want to cop? That's, that's what I said. Yeah, that's what I believe now. And that's, I didn't come to that conclusion right away. Um, it took me quite a while to, uh, uh, and a lot of thinking, uh, so much thinking that I gave myself a headaches, got a lot of headaches throughout the years. And uh, really, um, once you're, you get yourself into the mindset of, of what they're trying to do. Um, why are they, why do they have all these lights on? Why do they need all these lights they're putting on? And, and, but it was mostly because not because of what I saw on radar, uh, but it was what the, the, the people that saw, um, the objects and the, the visual ground sightings that I heard about and read about and the people saying that the, uh, the objects were going apart, coming back together. Uh, they were going in triangular formation, which I saw on radar as well. They were going vertically, and they were in a vertical triangle as well. That's what I could detect on my radar, which I thought was strange, because it was pointing directly at me. It was the, the head of the triangle was down the line of the radar beam. It was as if they knew that that radar beam was right there, and they laid it, lined themselves up to it, and they made themselves where they were like shown in a vertical triangle on my on the vertical scope, the, the scope that actually gives me slices of a thunderstorm um, where I can get a 3D view of a thunderstorm. And so that was really odd. That was when I did say, oh, my God, what is this? Yeah, uh, because it was a, it was like it, it's like it's pointing an arrow right at me. And I, I actually did have some visions of them, uh, of sparks and you know, my, my tubes blowing in out of the console, you know, they sent back a, an energy pulse that was too hard for the radar to handle. Oh, yeah. really? You know, yeah, yeah. I didn't know, uh, you know, whether it was military or what, but I, I knew that if they had technology that good, uh, where they could go as fast as they were, they had technology, uh, that, uh, you know, they could take out my radar pretty fast. Oh, wow. I know yeah. you struggled with the idea for years, whether yes, whether it was military or not. Now, what pushed you over the line to say, no, this wasn't anything that military? What What is it that changed your mind? Or It, it was, um, well, I think... Um, with with the talk of the military coming out saying there and there's all this active talk about what are these things um i uh you know first i had to I, basically this was a process of elimination all the way from the top and so you know i came down to yes definitely they were solid aircraft that could fly at high speeds and uh and they could hover at at uh, tremendous heights that helicopters can't hover at 55,000 feet, for instance. So, um, so anyway, it, it came down to, uh, perhaps the United States, Russia, or, or China that had these things. Um, if it was going to be any kind of conventional 
uh, air, aircraft or not conventional, but high tech aircraft from a conventional reason. Um, and um, so then, uh, but I just looking at and studying, you know, for instance, we're seeing what Russia can do and they're not doing so well. Uh, it sounds like the United States is really struggling with trying to figure out what these are and uh, either either very few people know or nobody knows. I don't I don't know. That's the trouble. And so and then there's uh, China, which I don't believe they have them either. So I don't believe they're up to that technology yet. So we're the highest technology technology. And I don't think we're there yet, really, unless there's something that's um, but also you got to remember this has been going on for 30 years or, or say it's been 1994 has been almost 30 years. So uh, to see that technology then firsthand, um, then, you know, uh, in it. And still people are seeing the same things today. And I'm sure they, and of course they've been seeing the same things for a hundred years, almost a hundred years now. Um, so I, I really don't know. It, it, uh, it, it had, I had to bring back the, uh, um, process, you know, eliminate the possibilities. And so I don't think it's military anymore. Um, and uh, and it looked I honestly looked like that they were giving an air show. They were they were uh, lighting up the skies with with uh, um, strobes and um, and, uh, you know, flying around and, and basically doing, you know, I've been to a lot of air shows and and they were moving around just like uh, those air, aircraft would do, you know, all over the sky. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, they were showing us a good, good, a good show. I thought they maybe it was the jumping, the ability to jump uh, 20, 20 miles at a time. You you yeah. estimated the speed at seventy two thousand miles per hour, and the fastest any human has ever gone is in the Apollo command module, and that was twenty four thousand eight hundred miles an hour. So, Amazing. yeah, I mean we have nothing that goes even close to that speed. Yeah. Well, the one thing is if they really wanted to hide from my radar, they could have, um, but they didn't. They were kind of consistent at their at their altitude. Um, they, one would jump and then I, and once I found that, then the other other couple would jump and I would find them. So it was, it was a actually, <laughs> it was like it was waiting for me to find them, um, you know, once they jumped, but uh, but I did see them from one sweep to another. What you know, go in 20 miles. Once when they when they went to the west, I lost them. But when they went from uh, from the middle of Lake Michigan down to the south, I saw them jump at 20 miles in uh, one sweep. So one, you know, me twisting my wrist about one second at a time with the with the uh, radar beam. Um, I saw that uh, that one big one go down there within a within a second, within the twist. So um, that's that's where I figured out the airspeed there, oh. ground you, speed. Could you tell how many aircraft there was total? Or I know you said it kind of looks like a big blob. Yeah. Um, but um, when they were doing their air show, could you kind of tell like, well, there's three aircraft because there's one going this way and one going this way from their light show? Yeah, there was, there was at times there was, uh, 
usually there was three that were most prominent and they had the biggest, uh, let me figure out my glasses here. Okay. <laughs> um, there was uh, three of them and, um, uh, that were the most prominent. They hovered. Now there was a, that, there was a fourth one that kind of seemed like it was buzzing around the other ones a little bit. And I couldn't really track that, that one as well. So I, so that's when I say there were three to four. There was three definite ones that were in that triangle. There was a fourth that was traveling in between it and around them, like it was playing around those guys. And um, but when it got to um, the center of Lake Michigan, then and then moved to the south uh, at about the same latitude as as Benton Harbor. Um, that's when. Um, they, they got tighter together and the, I was off the phone call with, uh, with Ottawa County Sheriff's uh, Department by then. And, um, and then uh, we, um, let's see, uh, it was, I had to do some, uh, some other work. And, uh, um, and when I came back, maybe 20 minutes later to look at the radar there, that's when I saw the dozens of them. They had, I wish I had, watched them you know in between that 20 minutes because i would have seen i might have seen where these others one other ones were coming from because there wasn't just three anymore or four there were there were absolutely dozens of them just sitting around the spot and they most of them were not moving and there would be like a uh, I don't know, uh there would be like most of them would be hovering and then there would be one or two just kind of meandering in between the other ones uh it was really weird looking it reminded me of insects you know kind of going after some uh some piece of meat on the ground some ants going after a sugar cube or whatever just this cluster of things that kind of got tighter and tighter as you got towards the center uh with a few that were just kind of scattering around not hovering so uh it was really odd um and that's that's why that's where i think okay it's intelligent but it's not don't see humans doing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You, it was like a convention out there over Lake Michigan, and you yeah. said that they, or witnesses said that they were sucking up the water. Like, well, that's that's what it seems like now. I can see that. Uh, it wasn't until uh, last year when somebody said there is a map that shows where the ice was, um, uh, where where the ice was and wasn't. where the ice wasn't right uh, there was a map of the ice uh and it came from my own agency noaa and uh and so they gave me the link of that and for crying out loud there it was uh they they were on the northern edge of where the uh open ice, open water was they were they had gone to the south just south enough to where there was open water and that's where and pretty much that was around benton harbor a little bit north of Benton Harbor latitude. Now, on the Netflix, you had a weather map, and it Which, yes, yeah, it showed <laughs> the blobs over Lake Michigan. I mean, could you really make out what shape they were? Well, uh, what shape they could be? Yeah, or uh, or not, not really. No, I, there's. I, I wouldn't know. I might if I if I. I might talk to a radar expert and see what kind of shape would be needed to give the most absolute uh, highest uh, bounce back of radiation or you know, EM radiation, of course, um, 
to see what the radar would pick up because it spiked it to the top. Uh, it gave it, it just pegged that that amplitude energy pulse all the way to the top of the gauge. And so, um, you know, that's that's not that that was never seen before that I that I remember not with seeing hail or anything else like that or airliners or anything. That was the first time I ever saw it, the amplitude go that high. The one word that stands out in these descriptions from the witnesses is how bright it was. And then, now, didn't you say that there was maybe as many as 30 over Lake Michigan? Uh, yeah, I would say there was uh, about two to three dozen. I was That was about my figure. I would say about 30, yeah. Yep, most definitely. So I, and, go yeah. ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so they had to all come from somewhere, so... When I hear about them coming, you know, being seen in other surrounding areas of Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, I can believe it, you know. So, um, so they, there was, it was definitely a rendezvous point there. Yeah, the, the unusual flight characteristics are something that comes up with the UFOs where they can be stationary or they can move against the wind or maneuver abruptly or the considerable speeds, and no air intake, no wind, and no exhaust. Witnesses were saying they were just silent, hovering in the air. That's amazing, yeah. And, right, so they're absolutely not, uh, not conventional aircraft. Uh, when I, um, immediately after getting, uh, getting off the radar and doing other jobs, I talked to uh, um, there are air our local air traffic controller there, uh, there at the Muskegon Tower. He was, I, I'm sure he was working by himself, but he, I told him what was going on in Ottawa County and I asked him if he saw anything on, on his radar. He said he did not see anything on his radar, but he did see three aircraft in formation. He saw them through binoculars, and but they did not pick up on a radar. Um, and I would imagine the reason why is because uh, they did not have a transponder uh, uh, code transmission from the, from the aircraft. So that, that would mean they're not conventional aircraft. Um, so, but it's, it's interesting that he could not see it. Um, now, of course, my, my radar is, uh, more focused than his, his has to take one, one whole sky and one sweep. Uh, I just take a little bit of a slice of the atmosphere, uh, in, in one sweep. And of course I was focused right on them. Uh, like a flash, a strong flashlight would be. Um, so, um, and you know, once I found them, I mean, I knew they were there, and and uh, I could focus in on them uh, after I talked to the uh, police. You know, Bill or Jack, are you familiar with the phrase phasing? As it applies, yeah. uh, phasing as it applies to UFOs, phasing. Phasing? I have not heard that. One. The ability to change atomic structure. Okay. And then I was wondering, did the, the way you described the what, you know, you thought maybe it was a mothership and they were changing shapes and that went from larger to smaller, different numbers. It kind of, it reminds me of that phasing. That's a term that they're using to describe UFOs and what some of the abilities that they have. Oh, oh you mean going into different phase type? Okay. I, okay. Phasing. Yeah. Um, the, okay. So I haven't heard that term, but I understand the changing of phases um and i didn't think about that really but i suppose that is possible 
it kind of explains how maybe jumping works. They're able to phase in and out and even just change your atomic structure. I mean, that's not something we can do here on earth and none of absolutely yeah no right you have you had some nicknames i thought was kind of cute uh blitz was your nickname from way back when and then one of the witnesses called you the radar guy but to me you're the weatherman (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that's what i'm gonna call you the weatherman but so much more than that you know this is this was an incredible thing I know they've expl- they said maybe weather balloons. You you said there's there's other possibilities, and one of them was hoax. I think the didn't the uh, sheriff ask you if this could be a hoax? Uh, yeah i I called um, I called them back uh, to um, uh, just to make sure. Uh, well, really, uh, it was more of an excuse to talk to them again. Um, to, to go out, call them because I was at that point I was pretty interested in them and in them and I wanted to tell them that they were still there um uh but uh it seemed like the dispatcher hung up as soon as they were out of Ottawa County and they were out over Lake Michigan he hung up with me and so uh, but I was still tracking them uh he was not concerned with them anymore so and, and also the officer couldn't see them anymore once they were out over Lake Michigan so they got out over Lake Michigan quite fast, within a couple minutes, or as long as it, as you hear the tape goes. I for, um, forgot how long it goes, but uh, uh, but anyway, um, uh, it was uh, but it was something to to watch. They they hovered for a very long time during their hoverings, and they would move just every once in a while. Um, I'm trying to think how many times it was either three or four times that they would move to their position um, and and make that triangle formation, but always uh, a 20 mile wide uh, triangle and also 20 miles uh, did they did they actually go uh, from one place to another. 20 mile jumps, uh, 20 mile wide triangle. Yeah, you, you, you thought that they wanted to be seen. I thought that was interesting that they weren't hiding. They, they wanted to be seen and they kept moving. So you, they were in your radar <laughs> scope. Yes. Right. Yes, I absolutely. I, they did want to be seen. And uh, I think it's almost, maybe they were glad that I, I saw them on radar. I've, I heard something just recently that, uh, uh, I don't know who it was. I think it was anonymous uh, came out and said that uh, uh, I don't know how how much uh, whether I've put much into this yet, but uh, but I know Bill Nelson, uh, who is the uh, uh, I guess he leads the committee on science for the Senate or no for the for NASA. Um, no, he used to be a senator. Now he's the uh, uh, NASA administrator. But he he briefed the committee on science in the House. That's what it was. And uh, but he mentioned that we were gonna uh, uh, most likely detect um, extraterrestrials when, uh, within our lifetimes. He said that. Now I don't know if he meant uh, you know aliens uh, per se, you know alien, intelligent aliens or just microbi microbial life but uh but i think but if you listen to him it sounds like he's talking about when you're talking about extraterrestrials you don't usually say you know you usually say my, my micro you know microbes on other plants you don't say 
extraterrestrials unless you're talking something intelligent, I think. But uh, but it sounds anonymous seems to think that these things have been trying to get in contact with us for some time now, and they're um, and also they're they're um, uh, they want us to quit uh, fighting each other. Yeah, we've had people on the show predicted that within a couple of years. Of course, we've been on doing the show for four years, so that it would yeah. be obvious to everyone. And I think we're we're about there with the Pentagon releasing information with these pilots, both commercial and military pilots, coming forward. And it, apparently, they've made it easier for pilots to report these things now, right from their cockpit. Now, ground clutter. Is that a possibility? That it was ground clutter, noise in a radar echo caused by buildings or natural landscape? No, no way. No uh, way. <laughs> right. That, that was the big trigger question. Uh, that was the trigger answer that I got. That I uh, that I I finally wrote in, and uh, and kind of got the ball rolling. Um, uh, after, you know, it took me a while to, to come out and start talking about it. But, but when I heard a meteorologist in West Michigan say that, just, uh, explain it away as ground clutter. That's when I wrote an, a letter into the, um, into the website and, uh, and I, I let them, let them have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> said, good for you. No, absolutely not. It was not ground clutter. I had, the uh, the ground clutter is when the the radar beam uh, super refracts. It comes back down towards the earth or bounces off a a um, a, a, a um, uh, an inversion in the atmosphere, uh, which is where naturally the air gets colder as you go up. But sometimes there's an inversion, and sometimes it starts getting warmer again. And uh, at that point, uh, when the when the air gets warmer again. Uh, the uh, the air can't rise anymore; it just gets trapped, and so that's when you see a um, uh, uh, you might see a, a cloud layer that uh, or a fog layer, uh, uh, which which is caused by an inversion. So, but there was no fog that night. We had uh, a pretty dry, high pressure area over us. We did not have an inversion. It was uh, getting colder and colder with height, um, and so. Uh, the, the chances of ground clutter was nil. And I, I could tell when there was ground clutter because you could actually see the, the, the outline of Lake Michigan whenever we were in ground clutter uh, situations. And I had none of that that night. It was a clear, cold night right after a cold front passed through. And that's the last time, that's the last chance in the, that atmosphere right after a cold front passing through is good, clean, cold air. And you're not going to get an inversion of, um, it, okay, have you, do you notice that when a cold front passes through, the air seems like it's cleaned out, you know, after the rain has passed and the wind shift around from the west and northwest, that the air seems to get clearer and you can see the sky better. Uh, there's no humidity in the air. Um, does anybody notice that after a cold right. front goes through? Sure. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, okay, yeah. So it gets clear, and uh, and uh, so and that's the kind of night it was. It was just after a cold frontal passage, and and that's a, and because it was such a clear night, uh, brings the tells you that it, there was no inversion because clear 
cold nights uh, happen when there is no inversion. If there was an inversion, you would have mainly a humid night, uh, a little bit of fog or clouds, low clouds in the sky, and it would feel, um, it'll be a little bit warmer than usual. Uh, be a warm night compared to the daytime temperatures. So, but this was a, a cold, uh, clear night. And so uh, chance of, uh, of uh, the inversion um, uh, layer would not be there. And so there would no, be no uh, ground clutter. Um, but, but even still, if even just by taking that out of the equation, that if there was an inversion that night, I still had the radar 10 times higher in elevation than I normally did to when I had to find that one uh, uh, UFO that was at 55,000 feet. So I had to raise the antenna quite a bit. It's normally at a half a degree. The one trick to getting rid of the ground clutter is to just raise the antenna by a, a couple tenths of a degree um, in elevation. We normally had it at 0.5. I might raise it to 0.7 or 0.8, and I would get rid of all the ground clutter. But um, but I had this at 1.5. I'm not talking about 0.8 just to get rid of the ground clutter. I'm talking about during this whole event, I was at least 1.5 to 2.0 uh, elevation during this entire event. And at sometimes there was a couple times when I went up to five degrees. So uh, there would be no, absolutely no chance of ground clutter because I have the radar pointed almost, you know, straight up into the sky. So, um, that's, uh, that would not happen. Yeah. And, yeah. and not only that, but I saw clear air all the way around a solid object. You would not get that with ground clutter. Ground clutter looks like rain. You just get a sheet of, of, of clutter all around an area. You don't get one spot. And especially doesn't just sit there and move, you know. Or, you know. So, uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> All right. I love that clarification. Yeah. This is a radar and ground verified UFO sighting. And what was said was the radar matched the witnesses. I'm wondering what resources backed you up and maybe what resources were, were saying that, that, you know, it, that it was like a hoax. Which, which resources backed you up on this? There were some. Some people were backing you up on this when it happened in 94, right? Yeah, yeah, they, right, they they weren't saying it was, I don't remember anybody saying it was hoax that we actually planned this out. Um, I think um, uh, there was uh, people that tried to say that it was just a weather radar and but without understanding how the weather radar works, it was designed to be able to pick up both liquid and solid objects. So. Uh, yes, it could pick up birds as well as planes and UFOs if they were solid. So, <laughs> yeah, why not? And um, and no, it wasn't ground clutter. Um, and as I said, it was a process of elimination. And uh, it, it the, the conditions were perfect for radar viewing that night. And, um, you know, even though there was nothing out there to see, uh, there's no rain to look at, but, but it was good. Uh, it was good for the radar to, to detect, uh, probably the best night there would be for, to detect, uh, airliners or aircraft or UFOs. Now you had a better night. <laughs> do you believe that this was a, it wasn't an unmanned drone. You think that there was an intelligence inside of these things, correct? 
Uh, correct. Yeah, it, it, it seemed like, uh, yes, yes, they were, they were interested in, uh, obviously interested in being seen. Um, and so, uh, um, and, and by giving us a show, um, and I don't, I just don't see how the military would do such a thing. Why would they play around with high, high, uh, my glasses? I think I got crooked ears. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I'm going to take this off. All right. Okay. It bothers me. Um, I think, uh, when, um, you know, Wow. Okay, I'm, I'm lost again. Yeah. What was the question again? I'm sorry. I lost myself. I don't know. But one thing that stood out to me is, and I was a little disappointed in this, no men in black. So uh, I'd like to jump on with this story, and I want to know uh, uh, if it's uh, the, how uh, truthful this uh, account is. From what I understand, um, right after the event and UFO investigators descended on the area to find out uh, what happened, that it was uh, Dr. Michael Swords from uh, the Center for UFO Studies that was able to actually sit down with you and create the radar maps with you. From what I understand, it, um, the first question I have, was that a collaborative project between the two of you? My supervisor set that up. He actually had uh, uh, Bill Swords uh, come in and uh, to the office and uh, this is this is another story. It was when when I had to I wanted to use a, an overhead projector. The only one was the other federal agency on on the uh, at the airport, which was the FAA. So I went and borrowed one from the FAA. They said it was okay. When I was riding up in the elevator, there was a guy there, and I told him I was the the radar operator during that whole UFO thing, and and he he looked at me and said, uh, um, I can you know. He says, I cannot talk about it. He just had this look down his face that just gave me a chill that when he said, I can't talk about it. But, um, but anyway, I did, uh, um, I had a, I did have a good meeting with, uh, uh, with Dr. Swords. And, uh, and then I, after that, I, he's the one that actually drew out those maps. Now I drew them on the, with, with the same screen, the same screen. I don't know if, if you can see it, but, um, um, uh, is anybody is anybody on here? Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, so anyway, uh, um, so Dr. Swords took this this uh, this uh, map this very map that I had, and I had an acetate of it where I would actually mark where the where they were, and then uh, he would he marked marked them down on his on his uh, maps. So uh, that's that's where those maps came from. Okay, so here's here's the, um, the second part of that story. From what I understand, that there were only to be two copies of that, one for the National Weather Service, one for the Center for UFO Studies, and nobody else was supposed to see them? No, I never heard that before. No. Okay. So where, did, where did that, where did that, I, I have the copies here. I, I don't, there was, you know, I could always uh, give them out, but, um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, if anybody asked me for copies, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Autograph them. Right, yeah, if you so, want. <laughs> so, so there, okay, I'm just saying, because the, the legend of it is, is that somebody did a Freedom of Information Act on the National Weather Service to access those records. Oh, I see. 
Um, maybe, maybe yeah. and maybe they could have then, right? Even though you still actually still. Well, have, yeah. If 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 somebody found me, I would have given it to him. Uh, but okay. uh, uh, I. Doctor Dr. Swords uh, um, uh, had other copies too. He, he could have given them out too. I don't, you know. But uh, um, so, um, but yeah, I have I have all those copies, and, and I I actually gave them out to the, um, you know, nobody ever told me I couldn't give out this information. So, uh, you know, I you know you got to remember I was uh, I was in out of Michigan within a few months, so. Uh, the weather service is in a different, completely different region and different uh, um, states. So, uh, you know, I was working out of southern region instead of central me uh, region, which which is the headquarters of Michigan at that time. And so uh, uh, so my boss is but my boss did not al align with anybody else until we got to the director of the National Weather Service. And he. Uh, you know, he gave the all clear for me to talk to anybody. So um, that was that was after a few years, you know. But uh, so I, I don't know where the hesitancy was, uh, except maybe somewhere in Michigan or in Central Region headquarters of the National Weather Service. But the National Weather Service themselves, once I got down to Southern Region, gave me the all clear to talk to anybody. Um, it's just they said. Uh, don't speculate on what it is now. Uh, now that I'm still, I was spec. I was trying to figure out what it was all these years. I just wasn't saying anything to anybody until I, I retired. So now I'm retired and long been retired. So it doesn't matter, you know. Uh, just like any other Navy retired pilots, um, I'm you know I can discuss. I have the freedom of speech, so you know I can discuss it all I want. I'm so glad that you came forward. Yeah, this this is going to be uh, good good things for uh, discovering. I'm wondering what's more important to people: the transparency or secrecy? You know, the one thing is the the Weather Service uh, wanted it to go away in a hurry because they didn't want to be thought of as the UFO reporting center. Yeah, and uh, and so. And that's exactly what happened too. We were getting phone calls in the offices uh, by the dozens, uh, all the offices in Michigan and surrounding states, uh, about uh, you know about UFOs in the sky after March eighth. So, um, you know, it, I think I think people just start getting interested and they go outside and they start seeing things. And a lot, you know, I wonder if a lot of a lot of people just see. Uh, um stars they've never seen before they never thought of looking up in the sky yeah. really um you know well, i so. i think it's interesting that where it happened i have this map here and we have the michigan triangle lake michigan triangle is low as low as benton harbor and that's right where this flap took place where people lose time uh, the compasses don't work right. Ships and planes disappear. I just think that's coincidental that that's right where it happened. We, we got to move on. The show, uh, we, we've been here almost an hour already. So we do, I do a shout out to the previous guest, and that was Ben Goldman with Afterlife Road Productions. And, with, and uh, Tanya, our co-host from Ohio, which she would have fit right in because 
Project Blue Book, you know, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio would have been, we could have talked about that for a half hour at least. Uh, mm -hmm. Upcoming and ongoing, Brandon and I will be lecturing at in October at all the KDL libraries, all the Kent District libraries here. And my pet project is the 988 National uh, Mental Health Crisis Suicide Prevention Number, which is in effect now nationwide. So if you got a problem, by all means, call 988. If you're military, dial 1 after that. You go to a special place. Now, we did the. I want to get the final thought about transparency and secrecy. What's more important, Brandon? What do you think to you is more important? That we know the facts or that we keep it secret so Russia and China aren't getting our secrets? It's kind of a combination of the two because there is some stuff where I could see, where especially as like technology, where they would want to keep, you know, it's always the the race of who can be superior right or you want to keep kind of that superior stuff but then some of the stuff of like does it exist you know does alien life form i think that's something that you know definitely should be transparent for everybody again, the world all a, a fear-based thing too because they don't want people to be scared right. okay so too probably is probably a reason why they've kind of kept things hush hush but it seems like lately there's been a little bit of them wanting to expose a little bit but I think it's also to control the narrative as well at the same time. Yeah, the whole world wants to know. Mm -hmm. And then, Kim, I know you've brought up before, a lot of this stuff happens over military bases and training sites. So what's more important to you, keeping it a secret or letting everyone know what's going on? I think I'm going to have to go with what Brandon said. You know, letting the world know if there's alien life forms out there, I think we have a right to know and if they're able to communicate with us, we absolutely have a right to know. Um, but then again, their technology, are we ready for that sort ah. of information? Is the world ready for that? Is, you know, USA is maybe number one in the world in terms of uh, technology, but even, we're not even close to where these aliens apparently are at. So it's like, can we even comprehend communication and technology at their level? So it's a yes and no question. Okay. You know? All right. Yeah. All right. Bill, secrecy or transparency, which is more important? Well, I, I guess it's a, it's a fine line sort of thing. Um, the thing about transparency and, and is that what we know, is there are things that are in the sky. We don't know where they're from. We don't know who's controlling them. You know, we just really have a, a bunch of questions after the fact that, oh, here's something, what is it? Um, you know, we, we can't answer that question, what is it? So in terms of transparency, to say that there's something in the sky that we don't know what it is, I don't know how particularly helpful that is um, when it's certainly helpful to the witnesses to let them know that, um, you know, that they're not crazy, they should uh, be treated with respect. But with uh, regards to, you know, you know, the secrecy and transparency sort of spectrum, I think, it, you know, once we know who's coming here and why they're here, 
maybe there's a lot more value to a full public discourse, though I do think it should remain in the public discourse in the form it is now. Um, some people see things, we don't know what they are, and because we don't know what they are, um, we may not have any reason to believe they're a threat because of that old adage, you know, if they wanted to wipe us off the face of the earth, whatever has technology like this could have probably done it a long time ago. Yeah, good point. Jack, I think you represent transparency. So what is your view on this? Secrecy? Yeah, Go definitely, definite transparency. I, I really am. I'm too interested, curious, and, and uh, that I want to, I, I would like to hear myself know what's going on out in the universe. And that's why we have NASA and, and all these other science agencies. We really want to know. And uh, we really could advance uh, far if we could, uh, if we could um, contact these guys and, uh, and, you know, bring about some higher technology that we have now, even though we've gone in incredible ways in just a hundred years, but, uh, uh, and you got to wonder about that too. But, um, uh, and I'm sure the UFOs, if they had nothing to do with it, they must wonder how we, we, uh, advance so fast, so quickly. Um, but, uh, but, but I agree with Bill, if they wanted to wipe us off, uh, the earth, they could have a long time ago, about a hundred years ago. And, uh, so, um, now, I, I do understand this, the, the military applications of having a technology like this, but, um, you know, but come on, you know, this is, uh, I don't know. I, uh, there is, there was something, uh, I, I was, I, I have been actually uh, watching the Ukraine-Russia war and seeing that, uh, especially that if, if Russia, for instance, had the technology or NATO had the technology uh, to, to fight each other, um, you know, we would have used it by now. And there, there happened to have been an, an instance where uh, there, was, uh, um, there was a soldier who, was on, uh, who, sh who brought out a, a, a video and he was uh, um, interviewed by uh, um, Pat, um, let's see, what's his name? Uh, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, religious Pat Robertson guy. Uh, Pat Robertson. He was uh, he was uh, uh, he was um, interviewed by Pat Robertson on on CBN Christian Broadcast Network, and and he, the video you could actually see it. It, it was a flying saucer, and it was actually a, a, a they were throwing. It was starting in this, uh, you could see this fireball starting, kind of brewing up in the side of the saucer, and then it would be thrown down on the tank, and it, it kept doing that. It just, uh, it kept, it, 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 you would see it, it would, you'd see the ball gr growing on the, uh, on, the, on the flying saucer, and, uh, and then it would grow and grow and then be thrown down on the tank, and then it would go to the next one, and you see this other ball of uh, orange ball growing, and then you see it thrown down in the tank and you see the tank uh, uh, blow up. So that was a really weird uh, video, but it's out there. And there is an interview on that that, that occurred about, about a month or two ago. So that's, that's worth the look. So Yeah, I think there is so much to learn. And luckily we have organizations like the uh, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, uh, so doing good work there and all, all over the world, really. 
Um, I have the inspirational thought, and then it's over. Oh, apparently UFOs are now UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, as they've changed the the word the militaries want to call it something else. But inspirational thought, I try to gear this towards my guests. I basically have two guests, so I have two inspirational thoughts. And the first one is geared towards Bill, because in his books, Experiencer, he was abducted at two years old and then another every couple of years abducted again. And he says they're probably not done with him. So his inspirational thought is the stolen child. Come away, O oh human child, to the waters in the wild with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Bill, I know you're going to need some, maybe some magic, man. You're going to have to take some Moldavite with you or something, keep it in your pocket because they're not done with you is what you tell me. And then the uh, for Jack, your inspirational thought comes from Steve, Steve Maraboli. My scars tell a story. They are a reminder of times when life tried to break me, but failed. I think maybe you they put you through the course, Jack, but you've come out on the other side strong. And I appreciate you coming forward with that. Congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Peace out, guys. See ya.